Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday. It is February 7th. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and why you shouldn't freak out. Tapless from Bucks Suns. We're also going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers adding Jacob Junis, the Willie Adamas rumors. And then lastly, we'll talk about the Green Bay Packers and the coaching staff that they are building on the defensive side of the ball and reasons to be excited. Before we get going, Social media, Tapping the Keg on X slash Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok, Facebook too, uh, for that matter. And if you're a Marquette fan, we are on the PSF app. We are live streaming. I will be live streaming for Butler and for UConn next week. So make sure that you are tapped in there. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Um, you just look up PSF app on Apple or Android. So make sure you're checking that out. Uh, and if you've done all that, uh, and you're new to the program and you're joining us for the very first time, uh, we do this four days a week. Uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts, we are there. Um, usually earlier on, these are posted. Um, I've been under the weather, so I have to tape in the morning. Got to get my sleep um, to try to recover for National Marquette Day. Uh, and that's that's the that's the goal right now. So that's why podcasts have been late. Uh, we're off tomorrow. And then Mitch and I will recap the deadline. Uh, if a big trade happens, though, tonight, uh, I will certainly be there for you um, in terms of a, a podcast or Mitch and I will hop on if it's early enough. Uh, we'll just have to see. Um, hopefully, there's no like Durant-like deal uh, in the middle of the night uh, because I I will be going to bed early, <laughs> which I don't usually do, uh, but you got to do. Uh, you got to respect your body uh, in these type of situations. So, but we'll be there tomorrow. Um, and yeah, if you already subscribed, Share this with your friends. Tell your friends what we're all about. Um, spread the good word of Tapping the Keg Sports. We'd really appreciate it. All right, let's talk about why you don't freak out about the Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks are one, we're one and four on their road trip. Uh, it was not pretty. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, lose, you know, four games out of five. Um, it, they have actually, I think, lost five of their last seven, uh, if I do the math correctly on that. And yeah, that, that's obviously not good. Um, that's obviously not what you want. Um, but I think that there is enough there that things are pointed in the right direction. That this Milwaukee Bucks team seems pretty well connected. They had a lot of misfortune in their games on the road this this trip, right? You had Brooke Lopez who had the birth of his child. Um, I, obviously not going to fault Brooke. And I kind of agree with the Milwaukee Bucks to whether it was Doc Rivers or John Horace or it was a combination of the two guys to make sure that Brooke, just not have Brooke Lopez not come back. Um, and we all know, you know, obviously if the child, there were issues with the child, uh, but it, it doesn't really make sense for Brooke to travel all the way back and then he'll be in Milwaukee on Thursday, spend some time with your kid, enjoy those moments. It's your, you know, you don't, as a professional athlete father, you don't really get a lot of that time. So Brooke Lopez, was not in the mix uh, for the final three games, or I think, yeah, final three games of this trip, which hurt the Bucs because other guys had to miss. Chris Middleton misses the game against Utah uh, due to injury management. So you're down two starters against Utah. Uh, and he, you know, they'd done that on back-to-backs for Middleton. Then Middleton hurts his ankle um, on Monday or Tuesday when Kevin Durant slides underneath him. Um, I don't think that's Kevin Durant's fault. I don't think Kevin Durant was being dirty, uh, but Middleton you know, gets hurt. He leaves the game. He left in crutches in a walking boot. 
I, I that's usually not a good sign. But I know that you know in sports, whether it's football, basketball, others, that they do put guys in walking boots really quick, and they want to make sure that like they're doing that to protect their ankle. Like Cam Jones, for example, right? Marquette, if you're a fan or not. Uh, Cam Jones hurt his ankle, I think it was last week, two weeks ago. And Cam Jones was in a walking boot as well. Now, he didn't break an ankle or anything like that. But he, they did that to sort of protect the ankle, right? And so I, I'm not exactly freaking out about it. I don't think we'll see Chris Middleton uh, before the All-Star break. Um, but I, I, So that's obviously a big loss. Then you have the fact that Damian Lillard, speaking of ankles, you know, he's had an ankle injury. He tries to dunk on Walker Kessler. Actually, it's successful. Dunks on Walker Kessler, but lands awkwardly on his ankle after that. And he misses now the game against the Phoenix Suns. So you didn't have Dame either. So you've had all these injuries. You've had a personal issue with Brooke. Not issue, but you get my point. Like, he's been out for personal reasons. And you, yeah, of course you're one and four on the road. I don't think that's any surprise. And also you're playing pretty good teams. Like you're playing a team in Dallas, a team in Utah, a team in Phoenix. They're all are all vying for playoff spots. The Portland loss now really kills. And I, I think that it shines a light on how important that game was. And I think that should be a lesson to the Milwaukee Bucks about you got to take care of business when, when the opportunity presents yourself, especially in this back half loaded schedule. That's absolutely ridiculous. And I know why the NBA does it, but it's fucking bullshit. Um, and it, I really wonder if it needs to change because it's just, a, it's a lot of wear and tear. And I understand the NBA wants marquee matchups after football's over, but it just stacks the schedule almost in an unfair manner. I, I look at that and I just think, okay, like I, I can't necessarily, other than the Portland game, I can't necessarily be that mad at this basketball team. I can't look at it and say, all right, yeah. They are completely a mess. Like they're freaking out. Like Stat Muse dunked on or dancing on Doc Rivers' grave because he's only he's only won one game. Adrian Griffin won, you know, basically seven out of every ten games. Like it's it's all it's all bullshit. Um, it's all bullshit. And it's like everyone's gonna get their jokes in. Everyone's gonna, you know, be like, what's wrong with the Bucks? I'm sure first take will talk about it today. Um, like it's and it's it's wrong. It's not true because this team it had a lot of shit here. This was a road trip from hell, okay? And it wasn't a road trip from hell because they had games that they all oh, they did have games they could have won. Like if they play with a little more energy and effort and aren't so worried about the pomp and circumstance of Dame Lillard and understand that the Trailblazers were gonna come out with a fury, they would have won that game. And they would have, you know, been two and three on this road trip. Or if they would have played, if they would have managed minutes better in Utah and made sure that the guys who were playing, you know, Dame and Giannis were, you know, had enough gas and maybe Beasley had enough gas for fourth quarter, they, they might have won that Utah game. But Utah, you know, just beat Oklahoma City at home yesterday, right? It's a tough place to play. I told you guys that on Monday. So... It was a really tough road trip. The, pa the Bucks were, they was stacked against them. So I, I can't necessarily lose my mind because I'm seeing a lot of good things. The Bucks are playing as well-connected defensively, I think, as we've seen all year, and that's without Brooke Lopez. The Bucks, with basically a shell of their roster, was in a fight with, with the Phoenix Suns for three quarters. It, it kind of went off the rails in the fourth, 
And, you know, at some point, Phoenix took control. And, and that's to be expected, right? You see that a lot of times with teams against, like, mid-level, you know, playing like teams. That's probably what the Bucks roster is without all the guys, right? You can't expect much when you're out Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Dame Lillard. Like, those are, those are your three of your best players. So I, I think that... It, we just all need to, if you're freaking out about the Bucks, you, you just need to relax, okay? It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. The Bucks just need to make sure they're in the playoffs. I don't think I'm going to worry about that, right? Uh, there's really, it seems like six teams. Yes, the Cleveland Cavaliers have the lead in the, the NBA Central Division. But, you know, it. I don't know. Maybe home court doesn't matter. We saw it in the playoffs last year. We saw it not really matter. I think that the, the most important thing is that they learn together. And I think the last thing I'll say about this, and then we'll get to the top list. The Milwaukee Bucks were awesome against Dallas, even though it started slow. They started slow against Dallas, but after the light went on and Dallas started missing shots, the Milwaukee Bucks were fantastic. The Milwaukee Bucks did a great job against Luka Doncic in the second half. The, the, Dame and Giannis were flowing on all cylinders. And that was after the ability to practice. The ability to understand what they're doing. Doc Rivers telling Dame, hey, fuck all the selfish shit, basically, or unselfish shit. I'm paraphrasing. But be Dame. Be a star. You're a star. We'll work around you. Like, that's the type of stuff that Dame needs to hear. So I don't think there's any reason to give up on this Bucks team. I don't think there's any reason to not know about championship aspirations or not like give up on championship aspirations. And also know that this is probably the last version of this roster that we saw on, on Tuesday night. And a new roster is coming in this weekend. Let's do the tap list here uh, for Buck Suns really quick. Um, we'll just rifle through a couple things that, that stood out to me. Uh, Giannis versus KD was awesome. Uh, the, the amount of times those two went against each other was absolutely great. It was something you don't necessarily see in the NBA now. And those two were just going at each other all night long. I felt like Giannis had the edge. I know KD, you know, actually ended up having a really good fourth quarter. And part of the reason why the Suns pulled away was KD. But he kind of moved off Giannis. You know, that was a good adjustment by Frank Vogel to get Kevin Durant off of Giannis. But the Kevin Durant-Giannis thing was so fun to watch. <clears throat> was so fun to watch. It was, a, it was just a joy within, within this basketball game. I, as I said, kind of in the open, like I felt like they worked hard um, and they they really battled as a as a team. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, that is, uh, they I felt like played really good defense. They held the Suns to forty eight points in that first half. Uh, they just, you know, it, it, at some point the talent gap, you know, showed itself, and that's what happened here. And that that's okay. Um, you can't really, I feel like, can't expect to win this game. Other things to know from the Bucks suns game. If this is it for Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis, uh, it's, it's been real. Uh, Pat, you know, it had 12 and 6 in the 12, 6 and 6, but was a minus 15. Uh, he, his defense was absolutely awful in this basketball game. Um, he, he did do a little bit on offense, so that's, I guess, kind of cool that Pat was able to kind of have that moment, if you will. Uh, Bobby Portis was a complete non-factor. He had five points, uh, did fill up the stat sheet on some other ways, but was two and nine from, from the field. So 
who knows if he was forcing it, uh, if he already knows kind of his fate. Uh, but it, it, yeah, it, Bobby, Bobby is, uh, it, it was, it, it was definitely a weird sort of energy uh, with some of the guys tonight because I'm sure they all know, like, this is, this is the, maybe the last stand. And I, as I said on yesterday's show, it's ironic that it happened against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, number four, I don't understand the Marjan and Ajax sort of benching, if you will. I, I, the only theory I guess I have on it is Doc wants to practice with these guys more and that the reason why A.J. Green is getting minutes is because in that practice, A.J. Green was good. And so Doc Rivers was like, okay, yeah, A.J. Green works in my system. And same with Dave Yeager and Rex Coleman and like those guys look at it and they're like, all right, yeah, these guys work. And they are like, we don't believe in Ajax or Marjan yet. So I do wonder, you know, when they do have practices, which they won't have one here probably until Saturday, right? Um, because they have the weekend off after their game against Charlotte on Friday. So they get a little bit of break before they play the Nuggets again on Monday. I, I wonder if, you know, that's the time where you're going to actually see Ajax and Marjan, you know, come through. But they're going to have some time to work on stuff, figure stuff out, kind of get a little bit of a breather before playing Denver, which is great. And, you know, I think that's a big sort of game that you should circle in terms of what do the Bucks look like after that game, especially with the new pieces potentially and everything else. Continuing on in terms of things to know from this one, Malik Beasley did his best. Um, you know, they needed somebody else to score with Chris Middleton being out with the injury. Um, and he was seven, seven of 17, not exactly the prettiest, but did make six threes in this one with 22 points overall. He did the best he could. Um, but yeah, it, you needed somebody else. Bees stuck up. Uh, another thing I couldn't, I don't really ever want to watch Robin, Robin Lopez play 18 minutes uh, ever again. Uh, absolutely terrible. Um, if John Horse watched this game, which he probably did, he's like, we need a backup big uh, badly. Uh, and then last last thought on this game, Grayson Allen's comments about how he fits with the Suns more than the Bucks, um, which was like a very, I was surprised Jared Grieber left that for the fourth quarter. I'll be honest, I didn't see Grayson Allen on this floor. I forgot Grayson Allen was even playing. Um, and then he, you know, showed up, hit a couple big shots um, in the fourth quarter, but he was pretty much a non-factor for this entire game. And then Greenberg tells the story about how Grayson Allen basically says, oh, I fit better with the Suns than I do the Bucks." And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I, I think, it, and he basically also inferred that like it's better, it's easier to play with Kevin Durant, Beal, and Booker than it is with Giannis and Chris and whatever. I, I think my comments there are twofold. Number one, that's on Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen not being able to figure out how to play with Giannis Antetokounmpo, the best player in the world, that's on him. Like that's him for not understanding how it goes, right? And not working on his craft to make sure that he he fits in with what Antetokounmpo wants to do. Uh, number two, that's on Mike Budenholzer, right? Like that's on Bud and the coaching staff, the former coaching staff of the Milwaukee Bucks, that if Grayson Allen had, was uncomfortable in his role and whether he said that or didn't say that, um, that, that needed to be addressed. And I'm not yearning for Grayson Allen. I think Malik Beasley has been a fine replacement, actually better than fine. But it's just one of those things where I, I, I think it was like the story of triumph that Greenberg was trying to paint for uh, Grayson Allen. And really, I, I felt like it actually painted him in kind of a bad light, that it was it's kind of on him that, that, that didn't necessarily go well in Milwaukee. Um, I don't know. Per, I just I feel like that, that should be his responsibility 
not necessarily the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, that does it for the tap list. We will have a recap of Minnesota-Milwaukee, which should be a really fun game. Um, Bucks playing their fifth game in seven. Back home, though, uh, we'll see what the roster looks like. And that will be after Thursday. Mitch and I will be recapping that game along with whatever happens on the trade deadline. Moving on to baseball, um, the Milwaukee Brewers made a signing on Monday night. Um, I was going to talk about it after I did my Brewer sort of, I don't know if I'd call it rant, but my Brewer, you know, thing about the polluted mindset, which you guys can go listen to if you haven't yet. And I forgot. Um, and they added Jacob Junis, uh, who is going to compete for the starting pitching spots, a one-year, $7 million deal. Uh, Jacob Junis has a filthy slider. Um, he is quite the whiff rate on said slider. Uh, there are some pitches that aren't necessarily good for Jacob Junis, but this is a very Brewer signing, right? A guy that's kind of been a swingman, a guy that, you know, kind of just does, can do both, can be a starter, can be a long, long guy out of the pen. Um, and the Brewers, I, I trust them with pitching. They usually know what they're doing when it comes to pitching. Um, and Junis has, you know, one big pitch. And apparently he used to have a cutter um, that he hasn't used it in a couple of years. That'll be interesting to see if they bring back the cutter, you know, obviously with the success that Corbin Burns have. But I think I feel a little bit better of the rotation. I think the rotation is still shaky, but now you look at it and you're like, okay, it's Freddie Peralta, it's Wade Miley, it's, I don't even know if it's Colin Ray, it might be D.L. Hall, and then it's Joe Ross, it's a combination of any of these guys. Joe Ross, Junis, I think Junis would actually probably be ahead of Ray, honestly. So you have Junis, and then I think that fifth spot is Colin Ray, Joe Ross, Robert Gasser, I think long shot Mizorowski. Um, and so that, that not bad, right? That's not terrible. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised the Brewers look for another another arm, maybe. Um, probably more on the relief side of things uh, to potentially, you know, add to that bullpen. But they have a healthy competition now of who is going to get starting spots. And Hall, even though they want him as a starter, I wonder if they just kind of grin and bear it with Hall as the starter. And they just say, all right, you're in there regardless. And we'll just figure out, oh, I forgot Aaron Ashby too. So like, I think they're in a pretty good spot pitching wise. I think that this is exactly kind of what you what you envisioned. Um, it's a little, I wouldn't say it's extremely Johnny Holstaff, but there is there is some of that, right? Um, for sure, right? Where it's like a lot of these kind of four or five inning guys and then you just let your bullpen cook. But I think what's at least something to remember that I, I think people probably forget, probably don't really, you know, have, have sort of lost sight of in the 2018 season. And I'm not saying this is going to be the 2018 Brewers, which were one game away from the World Series. Here was their starting pitching rotation. Ulysse Chassin was their ace. Chase Anderson, Junior Guerra, Brent Suter, Wade Miley, Freddie Peralta. Those were the guys that pitched the most for the Milwaukee Brewers in that season. There was also a little bit of Zach Davies, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns were just coming up. Woodruff did start four games for that team, and Woodruff came on strong later in that year. Burns was completely out of the bullpen at that time. 
So all that to say, the Brewers have done this before. I'm not saying it's going to be the 2018 season. I think that's very unrealistic expectations. But what I am saying is the Brewers kind of have that playbook. And it seems like that's the playbook they're operating on. Because couldn't you see a situation where you have these guys who we all mentioned that are basically your starting rotation. Then you bring up Gasser, who might come out of the pen a little bit, might start a little bit. You have Mizorowski, who's maybe a guy you use later in the year, same sort of way. And you just sort of slowly build up these guys so that you're ready for 2025. I I kind of was talking about it with some friends who I, I've been getting a lot of shit that I'm not critical enough for the Brewers, which it is what it is. But what I, I will say is I think the vision of this team is basically we want to be sort of this young team that learns a lot, that learns a lot about baseball here this season. Could the Brewers start hot and then fall apart because you know, the basically the pressure plus the length of the season kind of gets to them. Yeah, I could 100% see that. Could see a very similar year to like 2017, right? Or 2007, excuse me, where like all the young guys came up. We were great for three months. It was a story and then it just kind of petered off as the year went on. Or like the Reds last year. Um, another good example of that. Um, could certainly see that. Uh, and then the next year is sort of the year, right? Like everybody then is a year older. Your pitching rotation probably is, not only is it Hall, but it's Gasser, it's Mizorowski, it's Peralta, who knows about Ashby. Like all of a sudden you have this pretty dominant rotation. You have another year of Devin Williams. Abner Rebe is your eighth inning guy. He'll probably be the eighth inning guy to start the year as well. Like I, I think that all of a sudden pieces start coming together a little bit more. So I look at that as kind of the vision, in my opinion. Like, I think that it's all about making sure that you're ready for 2025. Um, I, I do think that they can be competitive this year. I don't think the division is that good. Uh, the Cubs haven't done a lot. Uh, the Cardinals are operating with a team that, to me, is more like Herb Cole Bucks than the than the Brewers are. I know that some people would be mad at that. That I would I would say that, but like honestly, it's. To me, what they've done is like they've, oh, well, Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn, like they're bringing back all these guys who are just kind of mid-tier pitchers that are much older. I don't, I don't know how that exactly fix, fixes the rotation for St. Louis. Um, so I, I, we'll see. Um, but, they, I mean, they still have a lot of talent offensively. You know, with, we'll see what Jordan Walker is in another year, uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt, obviously. Uh, and, you know, they, they have a talented roster. But I, I do think the central is there for the taking. And so if everything clicks, like it could be the inverse of what I just said, like, which is, would be very Packers-esque, like basically go from being this team that struggles early on to being a team that's awesome later in the year. Other thing brewery-wise before we move on to the Packers, Willie Adamas is apparently on the trade block. Uh, they're fielding calls. This is according to Bob Nightingale. Bob Nightingale, not always the best source for this type of stuff. But apparently the Brewers are listening to Willie Adamas deals. Willie has one year left on his contract. I think Willie's still sought after by a lot of teams. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers have kind of had an up and down sort of years with Willie. Um, it's been really good, obviously, when he first joined the team. And then last year, it was just not necessarily what you expected out of a guy like Willie Adamas. And Willie Adamas has kind of not necessarily lived up to 
that first year that he was in Milwaukee. It's definitely it's definitely been a struggle. So it'll be interesting to see if teams teams believe that Adamas can kind of get back to what he was in that first year sort of with the Brewers. He did hit 31 home runs in 2022, so I shouldn't I shouldn't discount the year he had in 2022. It was a pretty solid year. But I think the issue for Adamas became is like, yeah, he's a power hitter, but he's not hitting for contact at all. Like he can still hit things out of the park, but he kind of became not necessarily the guy we saw in 2021 where he hit 285 and he also hit the home runs and he was kind of doing, you know, more than just home runs. Obviously defense is pretty good too. So there are teams that might think that Adamas can bring back the 2021 sort of flavor. Now, would the Brewers be able to add another sort of asset to that? Would they get, you know, maybe more lottery tickets for Adamas? You know, they have a very talented farm system, but maybe guys that are, you know, going to be ready in two to three years versus like guys that'll be ready right now. Um, Yeah, you could maybe trade Adamas for another infielder. They... Certainly could use some help at third base. I know a lot of people, including myself, have looked at Matt Chapman as, as a potential opportunity. Um, but I just wonder, you know, where where may they go with Adamas? And also, too, I mean, if we want to, you know, get in terms of the Chapman conspiracy, if you will, because still unsigned, Adamas might be needed to be traded because you need Joey Ortiz to be at shortstop and you want Matt Chapman at third base. Also, if you have Chapman at third base and Ortiz and Terang at short and second, that is that defense is unbelievable. I know Reese Hoskins is not a great defender, but that defense right there between your third and second baseman is going to be really, really good. Um, and I, even with Adamas and Ortiz, it's going to be solid. So we'll see what happens. I, I actually... I wonder if you need to trade Adamus in a weird way because I just feel like he's kind of a headsy guy and knowing he's in trade rumors, I don't know what that does for his psyche, um, but maybe maybe he calms down. Maybe it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, we'll certainly have to see. All right, let's wrap up today's show with the Green Bay Packers and their new defensive coaching staff. The Green Bay Packers are headed to a 4-3 defense. Jeff Half, Halfley... Uh, has basically remade his staff with a combination of guys who were with the Packers and guys who are new to the mix. And he is really looking to reinvent this Packer defense. And we talked uh, last week with Mitch about how they could look at a 4-3, that they have big enough guys to play a 4-3 style defense. Now, what was talked about with Brian Gunacoust in his postgame, or his like, postseason presser, I guess you'd call it, was he said how like really nobody runs base anymore, that really everything's a nickel because of the way that teams pass the ball. So you're really running more of a 4-2, you know, defense with five defensive backs. That's more what the Packers and other teams in the NFL are doing. So I think that we won't necessarily see a ton of base defense from this Green Bay team. But it's clear that Green Bay is A, investing in coaching staff. B, they didn't tell Jeff Jeff that, or Halfley, excuse me, that like, hey, you have to keep all these guys. You can make the decision. You can say which ones to keep. You can say which ones not to keep. These Packer defensive coaches that left have all got jobs elsewhere. So it's not like these guys were slums. It's not like these guys were, 
you know, not necessarily good coaches. They just didn't fit exactly what Halfley wanted in that locker room. And Halfley moved Jason Rebovich to be the defensive coordinator or defensive line coach, which he was the edge coach. So now he moves to defensive line, which again, sign of a 4-3. You add Anthony Campanell, who I hope I'm saying that right, because uh, I think he'd kick my ass if I didn't. The linebackers coach who, if you watch his hard knocks clip, he is an absolute stud. Like he is just a motivator, a leader of men, a future defensive coordinator. Some people think they, or I think he might've interviewed for a couple defensive coordinator jobs. He comes from Miami to go from Miami to Green Bay. Also that's like, to me that just shows you a guy who wants to be great, right? And that sees that this, this as a great opportunity and is the run game coordinator, will be coaching linebackers. I think, you know, what he can do and get out of Quay Walker can be really special as well as Isaiah McDuffie. I, I know that maybe the fan base wasn't exactly high in Isaiah McDuffie, but I feel like if you peel back the onion, McDuffie had a pretty solid year. It also would not shock me if the Packers look in the free agency world for a linebacker, if they look you know, in the draft for a linebacker and they draft somebody along with Quay Walker. The Devondre Campbell you know, having a year left is going to be really tricky because they they really can't get out of that Campbell contract until next year. You'd have to move him. I don't know if you can convince a team to take Devondre Campbell, uh, but we'll certainly we'll certainly see. Their defense backs coach is Ryan Downard, who a lot of people were very high on, who feel like he can be a next good, great coach, or next great defensive coordinator. He was the safeties coach, which I know might give people some pause, right? Because the safeties weren't exactly good. But I also don't, that's again, another example of, well, is it the coach or the players, right? Like you could only take Darno Savage and Rudy Ford and Anthony Johnson and Jonathan Owens so far. Uh, you can only lead a horse to water so far where they have to drink the water. And so, you know, obviously Halfley saw it as like, all right, I have Downard shows enough potential there. And then the pass game coordinator is Derek Ansley and Derek Ansley, you know, was the Chargers defensive coordinator. Now that might give you pause because the Chargers were not good defensively. But in terms of pass defense, they were ninth in in all football last year. If you look at the, we can pull up the advanced numbers on the Chargers, see if it was as good as sort of the traditional stats, because that's always important, I think, when we're talking about these things. If we look at our friend, the EPA, and we're plugging it in right now, live on the, live on the pod, it's still also just for whatever it's worth, whether the numbers are good or not good, it's good to have guys who have done the defensive coordinator thing before, right? So the Chargers from a EPA perspective were not good, uh, 25th overall. So there was not exactly a good thing there in terms of drop back success rate, in terms of you know how often were they succeeding when teams passed the ball, Chargers were 23rd. So yeah, the advanced metrics do not paint a pretty picture on that Chargers pass defense. But I think what's more importantly is Ansley, you know, basically working with Halfley and Halfley relying on Ansley to be like, hey, have you dealt with this before? Have you, you know, seen this? You have former defensive coordinators there that could at least, you know, help Halfley through sort of like the ins and outs of being a first time defensive coordinator. I think that's really important. So I love what the Packers have here. I think they are committed to making this defense better. I think that is all you wanted. That's all you hoped for. And the fact that they are doing it 
is a wonderful thing. And I think that that increases the hype of next season, right? They did not sort of half-ass this. They basically said, all right, we're going to retool this. And to me, it's the first sign of the Green Bay Packers showing how serious they are about 2024 and how serious they feel like they have a real chance. And they have a real chance with this football team. And I think they know it. I think the team knows it. And I, I think that they now added coaches to say, all right, we want to be a championship level defense and we need to play complimentary football. And they're putting the best of the best. And I'm really confident in what I'm seeing from the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to try not to get too excited about this defense uh, as, the, as July and August start, but it's certainly on the up and up. All right, that does it for today's show. A short show, a short tab in the keg, yes. Uh, only about 33 minutes. Not a not a ton going on. It's hard doing three straight when there's not a lot going on. No more tech games, obviously, to talk about this week. Um, and, you know, Packer News has been somewhat there, not there, but certainly wanted to talk about the Bucs. Um, we'll be back on Friday to recap the deadline, uh, talk Bucks, Timberwolves, talk a little bit Super Bowl too. Just kind of what Packer fans could learn necessarily from the Chiefs or the San Francisco 49ers um, as you watch that game. And then anything else that, uh, that comes across the wire. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a great Wednesday. We'll be back on Friday. See you then. Bye.